Paul, please uh, talk more about math and science. So let's talk about math, <laughs> shall we? It probably was Brandon, yeah. <laughs> uh, really, just numbers. Uh, but I saw a story a while back that just really fascinated me and piqued my interest. And uh, I wanted to share it with you. But in order to do that, I, I thought we might need to do kind of a refresher uh, and talk about prime numbers. How many of you know what a prime number is? A lot of you. Maybe not all of you. A prime number is defined as a number that's greater than one. I, I think that one used to be considered a prime number but, but isn't any longer. So it's a number that's greater than one that's only evenly divisible by one and itself. Does that make sense? I'll show you some examples. But, but uh, a number that, or if you want to put it the opposite way, uh, the only way that you could multiply two numbers to, uh, of, uh, of each other and arrive at the prime number, you could only uh, uh, multiply that number in one. It's the only way you can get to that number. So uh, let me give you some examples. Two is a prime number, right? We get that. But then three is a prime number. Can you divide three evenly other than by one or by three? Shake your heads, no. No, you can't. Five is a prime number. Now we skipped over four. You see why? Because four is divisible by two, isn't it? You get it? Oh. The next prime number is seven. Six is divisible by three and by two. And so we skip over six, but the prime number is seven. If you're not familiar with these, maybe about now you're looking at these saying, oh, they're basically the odd numbers. Well, they're not because we skipped the next odd number. The next odd number is 9, but 9 is divisible by 3. So the next prime number we get is 11, right? See how this works? And so on and so forth. It goes and goes and goes. Uh, for instance, 7,573 is a prime number. I only know that because I looked it up. Because part of what happens here is that these get more difficult for us to just sort of calculate, especially in our head, after a certain point. Now, your point may be higher than my point. I, I don't know. But at a certain point, it, you know, you see this number and you think, is that prime? Well, now I'm going to have to sit down and kind of noodle on it for a while, right? Which is why computers are great. Because computers have allowed us, among other things, to compute far larger prime numbers. And, and this is why this story came up, because a new really big prime number had been discovered. Now, some of you may be thinking, who cares? Why do we care about prime numbers? Well, a lot of it is sort of theoretical uh, uh, in, in math uh, world, but it's interesting that we use computers to find these, these larger numbers, because prime numbers are really important in one element of computers, especially uh, cryptography, to, to to encrypt something so that it, it remains secret, so that somebody can't get into your files, this concept is frequently used. And what people do is they make a very large number that you can only arrive at by multiplying two large prime numbers together. But they've got to be kind of large. If the key to my encrypted file is the number 21, you can see pretty easily, well, the prime numbers you've used to arrive at 21 are 3 and 7. I mean, that's easy, right? But do you understand? As the numbers get larger, it gets far more difficult to crack that code. And computers have become really helpful with that. So the story that I saw a while back 
was that the new largest prime number had been found. A couple years ago, it was some 22 million digits long. Now, it is 24,862,048 digits. Can you believe that? That's staggering. It's astounding. To give you a sense of the scale, I, I thought I'd show you. There's a 10-digit long number, right? And, and you see, I made it 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 0. Just so that we can use that pattern over and over and over, right? So if you copy and paste that a few times, that's what a 100-digit number looks like. I didn't even bother putting the commas in. I mean, at a certain point, it was like, why, you know, look how ginormous that number is. There's a 1,000-digit number. There is a 10,000-digit number. And I remind you that 10,000 digits is nowhere near 24 million digits. Do you understand? I mean, look how staggering this number is. And that's just that same number repeated over and over and over, you know, and just stacked together. But just that, to look at that. And so when I think of a number that is over 24 million digits long, I mean, it boggles my little brain. I, I can't hardly wrap my head around what sort of a, a number that would be. Because you think about big numbers, and I don't know if you've ever done that before. A lot of us have done that. You think about maybe the concept of eternity or the concept of infinity. I used to, as a kid, lie on my back on a, a clear summer night and just, you know, stare at the stars. You ever do that? And, and the more you just look out there, it's almost dizzying. You think, look, think how vast a space that is and how far those distances are. You know, we, we try to wrap our minds around some of these just big, immense things. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, if you would. going to be this morning in Matthew chapter 18. And I'm going to start in verse 21. So Matthew, it's the first book in your New Testament. If you're a little newer with your Bible, don't even worry about it, but you got an Old Testament and a New Testament. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. Chapter 18 comes right after chapter 17. You probably figured that out on your own. And verse 21. And Peter comes to Jesus, and he has this question for him. He says, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? <laughs> this is great. Um, it's probably kind of in the context of, you know, sometimes we have these section breaks in our Bible, and, and sometimes those those maybe do us a, a slight disservice. You know, remember, I've told you, those section breaks aren't in the original manuscripts. The headings that we have there in English, those were added afterward by editors. They're, they're not part of original scripture. And sometimes, you know, they, they maybe do a disservice. I think they're sort of a following on for what happened earlier. If you back way up to verse 15, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says, if your brother... If your sister, if somebody sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. 
you see, his point is to win them over. I mean, this is the win in Jesus' mind. If, if, if they, they repent, you know, then you've won them over. But if they won't listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And so Jesus does something really interesting. He says, you need to treat sin in your, your body, your congregation seriously. You don't just blow it off. But also consider that the win here is to restore this person to the fellowship. You know, to get them to sort of say, yeah, you're right. I see what you mean. I'll knock that off, you know. I think it's in this context now that Peter asks this question. Hey, how many times, though, should I forgive someone? How many times is good? Would you, would you say, like, up to seven? <laughs> and I love this because I, I think Peter has chosen this number because it seems to him to be really high. Now, now seven is also considered, especially in in uh, the Hebrew culture, in the Jewish culture, the number of perfection, right? And so he may have chosen it in part because of that. But it's also, I think, relatively high. You know, a lot of us probably live more like the three strikes and you're out, you know? That that's sort of our rule. Maybe in their culture it wasn't that different, even though it was in a pre-baseball world, they probably wouldn't have said three strikes and you're out per se. But they may have had this idea, as most of us kind of do, you know, I'll forgive you for this thing. But then when you do it again, listen, you're on thin ice. I'll maybe go a couple of times. I'll maybe go a third time. But after, you know, this repetition, we're not going to keep treading this same ground. I mean, I'm going to be done with you, right? And so I think when Peter comes to Jesus and he says, how many times, I mean, let's just for sake of argument say that, that somebody's really wronged me repeatedly. How many times should I forgive him? Would you say up to seven? It's pretty good, right? Seven? Huh? <laughs> Come on. That's good, right? Peter's maybe looking for a gold star from Jesus here. He wants an attaboy, you know. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. <laughs> Ancient languages are hard, and so the people that work on, on translating this original Greek, they'll tell you, it's somewhat difficult to determine if that original meaning was 77 or 77s. In other words, 70 times seven. I think most of our translations have rendered this 70 times 7. Some of you may have 77, though. I don't think we need to get overly hung up on that. In either of those cases, what Jesus has just done is he has taken a number that Peter assumes to be pretty high. And I think if we're being honest, we would agree with him. Seven times, you know, to forgive somebody for the same thing. That's pretty good. That goes beyond what... I and my natural self kind of feel like doing. So seven is good. And Jesus takes that, and, and even if we take the lower of the two numbers, 70 times seven is 490. I did that in my head. 
Thank you. <laughs> but even if we take the lower, if the more accurate English translation were to be 77, that's still really high. Do you understand what Jesus just did? He said, I want you to take the big number that you have brought to me and make it way bigger. Let's just blow it out of the water here. Do it even more than you think. Do it 70 times 7. Now, the reason I say we don't need to get overly hung up on the number is because is what Jesus really saying that we need to count? That if it's 490 that we go, okay, one, there's one, two. In a few years, we're like, okay, that's 17. This is going to take forever, right? I mean, is that really his point that we count? I think we understand what he's getting at. He's not setting maybe this hard and fast number, count to this number. What he's trying to get Peter to understand, and everyone who's in his hearing, I want you to think way bigger than is your natural thinking. And again, I really suspect that Peter has already brought to Jesus a number that he thinks is higher than his own. Nat you know, Peter might be thinking, normally I might go twice, you know. So I'll say seven and see if we can, you know, arrive at this answer. And Jesus says, nah, blow it up. Really blow it up. Seventy times seven. Even if it's seventy-seven. He's just increased this number by at least a factor of 11. I also did that in my head. And then Jesus tells this, this parable, which is amazing. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, my translation says. You know, they, they try to put this for us in English in, in terms that we can kind of understand economically, you know. It's hard to, to maybe put a figure on this. But when you see 10,000 bags of gold or whatever it is that some of you have, and maybe you have footnotes that help describe that, do you understand that's a lot of money? You get it's a really huge sum. This man owed him 10,000 bags of gold. How would a man owe the king 10,000 bags of gold? It's not important. Do you understand, again, what Jesus is trying to establish? He owed him a lot. He owed him so much, there wasn't going to be any way this man could pay this amount off. He probably doesn't have 10 bags of gold lying around in his garage, let alone 10,000. It's this astronomical amount. It's like a number that's got 24 million digits in it. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost too much to wrap your head around. And so here's this guy who owes the king 10,000 bags of gold, and this man was brought to the king. In verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That sounds extremely harsh, I want to remind you, we've talked about this, I think, in other settings. This was sort of a cultural norm for them. 
I mean, it wasn't something anyone would have been happy about, but this would have been sort of the last straw. If you owed so much that there was just no way you could pay it back, you could sell everything and then even sell yourself, sort of become a slave and say, this is how I'll pay this debt, you know. And so as Jesus tells this story, they would have understood that, oh, yeah, that's, that stinks, but we've, you know, we've seen it happen. We get that. And so that's what happens. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. How this man in this parable thinks he's going to end up with 10,000 bags of gold at any point in his life, I don't know. But he begs the king, please, please have some patience. And the servant's master took pity on him. And he canceled the debt. And he let him go. He canceled the astronomically huge debt. He had pity and he said, okay, I'll write it off. You can go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Again, you probably have a, a footnote. You know, this is, this is uh, compared sort of to a day's wage for, for so, sort of a standard laborer. I think you understand that a hundred silver coins is a fair amount smaller than 10,000 bags of gold in my translation. Do we get that? Can we agree to that? And so he's got this fellow servant. He says, you borrowed 10 silver coins from me. Do you remember that? You borrowed these coins for lunch. I mean, I don't know. Probably would have been a pretty big lunch even. But for some reason, you remember that? And he grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Sorry, I just said 10. It's, it's 100 silver coins. He began to choke him, and he said, pay back what you owe me. Do you understand what Jesus is, is doing with this, this parable here? And his fellow servant fell to his knees, and he begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. Almost the same words that he just used with his master, with his king, when he said, please be patient with me. I'll pay back this 10,000 bags of gold. Please. Now his friend who owes him the tiniest fraction of that amount, and he's choking him and saying, you pay me that money, you. And his friend makes the same appeal. Please, will you please be patient with me? The man, verse 30, refused. Instead, he went off and he had this other man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And Jesus says, this is how 
my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. That's a story, isn't it? Now, this is, again, a parable. We, we use that, that word parable. The, the original Greek is a word that means to, to cast something alongside. So you would take this parable and, and, and cast it alongside reality in order to sort of make a point, right? So this isn't a thing that, that actually happened, perhaps. Jesus is trying to drive his point home all within the context of Peter just having asked, hey, how many times should I forgive someone who's wronged me? And Jesus says, let me tell you this story. And I think what we are meant to get from that, what Peter was meant to get from that, was that if we're going to cast this parable alongside reality. Who does the, the king line up with? Go ahead, say it. You know it. Jesus. Yeah. God, right? That's the king in the story, isn't it? And this king has somebody that owes a, a very great debt. Maybe even Peter. Maybe even me. Maybe even you. And Jesus says, do you understand that debt was forgiven out of mercy? Kind of no strings attached. When that, that man, that servant, the original servant, came to the king and said, please, I, I, please just have some patience. I have a family. Can you give me some time? The king didn't say, I'll do it on one condition, did he? Instead, he was moved by mercy, he was moved by pity, and he just said, I will do it. Period. I'll, I'll do it. I'll forgive that immense debt. I'll forgive this, this thing that, that looks kind of like this. And then that man goes out to his friend who owes something that maybe looks more like this. Maybe smaller. I mean, I don't know. I didn't do the exact math. <laughs> Put your pen down, Brandon. Just worry about it later. Don't. Just pay attention. <laughs> right? And this man says, I'm not going to forgive you that. Why should I? You owe me. I'll have you thrown in jail, you scoundrel. And in this context of Peter coming and saying, tell me, how many times should I forgive someone? How much? To what extent should I forgive someone? How far should I go? This is the picture Jesus paints. So let me tell you something. That big number that you've suggested, you need to make it way bigger. And just to drive that point home, 
going to tell you a story about this king, servant, another servant, and how angry, Peter, it makes your God when you are unwilling to forgive a debt that looks like this, when that God has forgiven you a debt that is astronomically larger than this. How many times should I forgive? How many times should I forget? And again, I think part of the the reason it's, it's important to think of the context, including that prior passage about somebody who, who sins against you, is what Jesus is asking him to do is not just say, okay, I wasn't wronged after all. You understand? I mean, in that prior, that prior example, somebody has sinned. I mean, that's the assumption, that someone has truly sinned. Even in the parable that he tells, somebody did incur debt, They did that thing. It's not as if it happened accidentally. It's not as if it happened while they were asleep. That it happened to them. They were victimized somehow. They did it. They incurred the debt. And the king in that parable doesn't simply say, oh, I guess you don't owe me a debt. What he says is, okay, I'll write it off. I'll, in essence, credit it back to your account. We'll just zero out the books. He's not saying that nothing wrong happened. Sometimes when we think about this issue of forgiveness, we have an assumption that means I I need to pretend like I wasn't wrong. That's not what Jesus says here. That's not what the Bible teaches. What it teaches is, Even though I have been wronged, even though you do owe me a debt, I will be willing to let that go, to write it off, to give up my future right to cash it in somehow. I'll write it off. And Peter says, awesome. Seven times would be really good, right? And Jesus says, try bigger. Try higher. Can you even imagine, you know, I, I, I mean, as they, I don't know if they were sitting around lunch as Jesus told this parable, but when he talked about somebody who owed 10,000 bags of gold or whatever it is that your translation has rendered there, can't you just see their eyes bug out and their jaws hit the floor? I mean, it's almost a comically large amount, you know. I mean, they all must have poked each other and said, can you imagine 10,000 bags of gold? And then as Jesus gets to the portion of his parable, he says, yeah. And the king in mercy, in pity, he forgave it. He wrote it off. And how these disciples must have just shaken their heads rolled over. That's huge. That's so big. And then as this story goes on, I'm sure that Jesus didn't need to explain to them how unjust this would have been for this this servant to choke and to throw into prison this man that owed him 
an amount that was the tiniest amount compared to 10,000 bags of gold. They got it. Which is why Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. You know how angry that makes God? In our scripture reading this morning, we see this thought carried forward throughout the rest of the, the New Testament. As Paul writes a, a number of letters to Christian churches in the first century, we see this used. We read today from, from Paul's letter to the city of Ephesus. He makes this same point elsewhere, and at the end of that passage, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another. And he says this, forgiving each other, wait for it, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Because you see, there was a king. And you, I've mentioned this before that sometimes when we say we owed a great debt, it kind of lets me off the hook a little bit if I can abstract it and make this some weird collective thing. No, you owed a monstrous debt. And I think part of the secret here, if there's a secret into learning how to forgive others the way Jesus taught us to forgive others, is in having a greater sense of my debt, of your debt. Because if we're not careful, what we do is we make our debt more like that. I mean, yeah, I understand that, that I've been forgiven of my sins, but my sins weren't that bad. Maybe they were kind of more like that, you know? Or even that. I mean, I'm not that bad. And when we do that, we forget two crucial things. Our own state, our own condition, and God's holiness. God's utter perfection. And what we sometimes think of is just these little things. Do you understand how offensive, how deeply we have offended a God that is perfectly holy and righteous and just do you know how deeply you have offended your God? How astronomically huge your debt is? Because when you don't get that, then your assumption is going to be that you really haven't been forgiven of all that much. So that when the Bible teaches forgive as Jesus forgave, you say, I think I can do that. Because I wasn't forgiven of that much. I was pretty decent, you know. I mean, I know I need Jesus, but I don't need Jesus. None of us would dare admit that out loud. But sometimes this is the sort of thing we've got in our head. When the reality looks more like this. Maybe more like the 24 million, 800 and some thousand, I forget the rest. When I start to see myself accurately in comparison 
with God's self, with God's holiness, and understand what I've been forgiven. And then I read in his good book, now forgive each other. Oh yeah, by the way, the way God in Christ forgave you. You see what Jesus means when he's asked, how many times should I forgive somebody? And he says, try 70 times 7. Try a way bigger number than you're thinking. You've brought to me 7 thinking that's really, really good. And it is far beyond what most of us naturally feel like doing. Jesus says, do you understand how much you've been forgiven by your God? How much the king wrote off out of mercy, out of pity. We kind of need to understand this in our own lives before we can truly understand, now forgive each other the way Christ forgave you. Yeah? Once we start to get that, then we're going to start to get that. <laughs> get it? Because <laughs> I have a, a more profound sense of my own indebtedness, then how dare I hold something that is so pitifully insignificant compared to that against my fellow brother, my fellow sister? How dare I? How many times does it matter? And some of us in this very room, I know it's shocking to believe it. It's probably not you, don't worry. It's probably just the person sitting next to you, you know. But some of us are hanging on to some bitterness. We have said, enough is enough. I have forgiven this person enough. It's been enough. Let's just be reasonable and rational. I've done it enough. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not sure we have a profound enough understanding of how much we've been forgiven, how much I've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. For some of you, maybe for some of your neighbors, you know, well, I joke, but we say frequently, right? It's easy to think of the people in your life who you really hope are listening to this sermon. It's a little harder, a little more painful, but also a little more godly to say, what's this have for me? What bitterness am I holding on to? Where have I refused to forgive someone? Because I've told myself, it's too much. I've done it too much. I'm not asking you to pretend you weren't wronged. But it's possible you've said, I'm not, I'm I'm not going to go any farther. And I want you to hear Jesus' words saying, I tell you, take this number you've thought of and amplify it depending on your translation, at least by 11, possibly more like by a factor of 70. And then as he tells this parable, he says, ah, the number's probably even higher than that, you know. 
because of what you have been forgiven. You and I are called to forgive as we have been forgiven. Not in order that we can count times, but that we would have a clear understanding of who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Do you understand what's been forgiven of you through Jesus Christ? I'm going to suggest none of us really does, but we keep, you know, (laughs) keep taking that size, that number, and making it larger and bigger. And that ought to then, when we read, forgive as you've been forgiven, to prompt us in our following of the Lord Jesus Christ to maybe even make a call or send an email this afternoon and say, you know what? I've been hanging on to something. I'm going to stop doing that. I understand what my king forgave me. And you know what? I'm going to forgive you. If you need to do that, you know. You know who it is. I can't tell you. You don't need me to tell you anymore. That is what being a follower of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, looks like. Forgive as you in Jesus Christ have been forgiven by your King, your God. Our Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. God, it's a challenge to us. It's hard. We uh, can have a little fun at Peter's uh, suggestion here, but frankly, we're a lot of us are like that. We, we think we're doing pretty well. And Jesus gently reminds his disciples here, that's nowhere near your God. You're not even getting close yet. I thank you for these examples. But I thank you even more for the challenge, God, as we are called to live lives that look increasingly like the life of Jesus Christ. It's the reason we're studying this together. So that as we consider what it means to be Christ-like, we have a clearer picture of that because we know Jesus Christ well. We see in this teaching on forgiveness that a lot of us have got a lot of room to grow here. So, Father, convict us. Challenge us. God, I pray if there's anybody here that hasn't yet received your great forgiveness for an insurmountable astronomical debt, that they would understand that that's theirs freely, that in mercy, in pity, you provided Jesus Christ, that he satisfied the requirement for your holy justice because there's no way we could have done it. And you offer that freely to us as a free gift based purely on what Jesus Christ did and nothing else. And that by believing in him and in his work and in your promises to us, we can be made new, be made whole, have a relationship with you, the God of the universe, that is fully restored. Draw them to you now.
Father, thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your, your pity. We thank you for your forgiveness. Make us followers of yours here in this regard, not just in name but in deed, that we would go and be a people of forgiveness as we in Christ have been forgiven by you. We pray all these things in his name.